I think what we're doing at Tiny, which is really exciting, is that we're we're genuinely addressing the supply issue, which is that there is not enough supply in the market. There aren't there aren't there isn't enough childcare for parents, um, and you know nurseries are full, waiting lists are long. The the the, the great local childminders get get filled up really quickly, um, and parents are, are struggling to find great quality childcare. On today's podcast, I'm talking to Brett and Ed, two of the co-founding team behind the organisation Tiny, who are on a mission to unlock the potential of every child and give them the best start in life. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly tech podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news. As mentioned in the intro, we are talking to Tiny. Ed Reed is one of the co-founders. He was also one of the very first guests on Tech Talks some five or six years ago. And now he's being joined by Brett from Teach First to bring Tiny to the market. Uh, basically, we're looking at an organisation here who are looking at early years education and creating opportunities as well for people to, to create employment opportunities for themselves to, to help in this space. It's, it's one area where technology has as yet not really been able to unlock extra added value and that's exactly what what the team are trying to do um you might notice i'm I'm speaking to you on my own i've got no co-host today unfortunately for some unforeseen uh circumstances however do stay tuned after the interview because after a short break i will be joined by jack pierce uh the tech talks co-host og and we're going to be talking all about the standoff between the academic community and google uh with with regards to what is going on there following uh, a recent dismissal that you may have already read about if you're up on your tech news. But it's a, it's a very interesting piece all around what uh, the effects might be of big tech hoovering up the talent when it comes to AI and what the academic community's response is. So that's what's to come on today's show. We'll go straight into the interview with Tiny. Today, I'm talking to the two co-founders of Tiny. We've got Brett and Ed with us. Ed, returning to the podcast after a very long time, we first interviewed you when you were at Gray's. And Brett, uh, if anyone is familiar with Teach First, they may be familiar with your work. So thank you both for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us back. Yeah. Um, for anyone who isn't familiar with Tiny, which, which one of you wants to describe the problem that you're trying to solve? Um, maybe I'll start. So... I've been in education now for almost 20 years. I um, was a management consultant and then started this charity Teach First in the UK, uh, which the goal was to really help schools in uh, disadvantaged circumstances and ensure all children get access to an outstanding education um, by really trying to attract the best talent into teaching and school leadership and really focused on the problem of educational disadvantage. Um, and then about 10 years ago, I co-founded Teach For All. So this is now in uh, 50 countries around the world. Um, there's teach for or teach first programs all over the world now. And really, when I was doing it, I realized that a problem about educational disadvantage starts at a very young age. It often starts even before children start school. So when they're toddlers or preschool or three or four years old, um, many of them have very different experiences. And more science um, brain development is showing the importance of a really good framework at that stage. So, you know, I visited some uh, year one and reception classes for four or five year olds where the children didn't know how to play, didn't know how to interact with other kids, didn't know how to speak really, really awful because they hadn't had that early years experience. Um, and then I have three children on my own and I realized it's just really hard for parents to find great quality childcare. And most people in childcare don't have a great experience because they're um, paid minimum wage and they don't have great professional development in this really important field. 
So after leaving Teach First, I thought, is there a way to solve a problem for all three of these groups and really reimagine early years um, care and childcare in a way for the 2020s and um, use tech as a basis to really make it work better for everyone? When you say use tech to make it work better for everyone, how exactly? I mean, there's there's all sorts, Dave. So I guess it's everything from the... Um, I mean, what we're prim primarily focuses on the experience of running the business. So we're, we're helping people run businesses from their home and be micro entrepreneurs in their house and look after children um, from their home. And what we found early on was that talking to the sorts of people that were good at that is they typically also weren't great at running business. That what well, those two skills didn't necessarily go hand in hand, or at least the, the sort of circumstances when they did, it was was rare. And um, so a large part of it is just building a great user experience for people who want to run businesses from their homes, everything from kind of helping them get set up. There's loads of regulatory stuff they have to do to get set up legally to, to operate as a childminder. Um, there's, there's taking payment, there's organizing insurance, there's finding customers and communicating with them and looking really professional on the web and in their communication. So kind of much like, you know, if you were choosing to, to rent out your house, you know, you wouldn't go and list it yourself on all of the different holiday sites. You'd, you'd put it on Airbnb and they, they handle all of the sort of complexity of doing that. Our, our goal is to try and make it as easy as possible, certainly from the business side, to to be a childminder and to, to, to run a great home nursery from your home. Um, so that's where the tech kind of kicks in is it's just making all of that experience as, as easy as, as possible and letting them kind of be great childcare providers without having to worry about all of that extra stuff. So forgive me for my ignorance, but you're talking about kind of ages naught through to five years old. So a home nursery from your home, this is localized pop-up people switching careers to become uh, a childminder and a family, a parent uh, going, you know what, with, with the pandemic, it's hard being a CIO perhaps and a teacher and a gym class teacher and a chef. And I need to find someone to help me do this because I can't both do my job and the expectation seems to be that people should be doing their jobs and looking after their kids full time whilst their kids have been doing kind of zoom classes and whatever else but i suppose when you've got some a child who's two years old that's that's even harder to do if the nursery is shut and you're trying to juggle both a job and looking after a toddler i mean it's impossible it's not it's absolutely impossible i think i i, I can't imagine anyone could work from home with a toddler um at home also and and actually do it it's it's you know, anyone who has a toddler knows they require, you know, full-time attention. So so that is the idea, that there, there is this platform where people can set themselves up as a childminder and people find them in kind of a local, I suppose, peer-to-peer -peer kind of economy kind of style way that, they, that, that, that it's just much easier to access? Yeah, I mean, we're, we help, I almost think of us as a whole end-to-end -end platform. So childminders are an official um, type of... Um, designation, we've managed to get approval from Ofsted, who are the um, education inspectors in England, that we're allowed to license and inspect and register childminders officially, which means they're eligible for all the government programs and funding and everything. So we register them, we train them, we do all the background checks for them. It's a very involved process. It's over 50 hours of training they do through the app. It's a whole flow of checks for them and their family that they do through the app. Um, and then when they're up, once they're up and running, not only do we help them find customers, but we also help push out activities they should be doing with the kids to follow the early years curriculum. Um, we help them keep track of what they're doing with the children to communicate with parents. Um, and also we help them um, with the payment, which which has probably given Ed a lot of gray hairs over the last year. But it's very complicated because parents like to pay for childcare in lots of weird and wonderful ways. And there's tons of government schemes and 
And even though it sounds boring, just having uh, one common invoice that parents and child minors can use is, is, is a real bonus to everyone. Why is this an area that hasn't been tackled by technology to date, do you think? That's a good question. I think I think that it's incredibly fragmented. I think there's there's a number of different parts of the childcare sector that you could be looking at. And I think what we're doing at Tiny, which is really exciting, is that we're we're genuinely addressing the supply issue, which is that there is not enough supply in the market. There aren't there aren't there isn't enough childcare for parents. Um and you know, nurseries are full, waiting lists are long, the the the, the great local childminders get get filled up really quickly. Um, and parents are, are struggling to find great quality childcare, and so, you know, that there are a, a handful of ed tech startups operating around the kind of providing software to nurseries and that kind of thing. But what we're addressing at Tiny, which I think is kind of more zoomed out and a, you know a much bigger problem to tackle, is actually helping build new supply and bring new great quality childcare to the market, and do so in a way which we think is kind of more in line with what parents are looking for, which is family style environments. Um, you know, home from home settings, small groups, um, much more flexibility than you get from a nursery um, and doing that in a way which we're also empowering people to start businesses and kind of, you know, quit their quit their other jobs and do something a bit more interesting with their lives. that They, they actually have a, a real passion for. So I think it's kind of it's it's new in that sense. It's you know, th- th- there are plenty of apps that help you run your nursery or, you know, update your 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 um your parents on on the, the ch- child's progress through the EYFS, which is the kind of curriculum they have to use. There's all sorts of things. There's lots of products you can find in that space. Um, but what nobody's doing is is this kind of genuinely trying to solve and bring a new type of childcare to market in a way which is which is really kind of aligned with with modern parents' expectations and needs. Sorry, I was going to say something a bit controversial, which for three men is probably not the right place to say it, but I'll say it anyway is one of the reasons this hasn't been solved yet is it's a real, um, a lot of people in tech are men. And this is a problem that often women usually have to deal with more than men. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the fact that there isn't great childcare out there, enough great childcare out there, the people who are working in childcare get paid minimum wage and don't get a great professional development, even though they're these really important professionals who change people's lives on a day-to-day basis. You know, I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's some underlying fact there that women deal with this issue more than men, and, and probably most people in tech are men. So um, I wonder if that's also a reason why this hasn't been prioritized as much as some other sectors. Yeah, and I suppose that's where you've seen kind of an explosion of companies like Elvi and so on kind of yeah. tackling whole areas that had never really been touched and were rather arcane. You, you talk about supply. I suppose there's an open goal in some regards in that there are a lot of people who have been made redundant, who are unemployed, who I suppose might be open to the idea of doing something different. But how do you how do you cut through and find those people? Because when you're a when you're a scale up and you maybe don't have a huge brand presence in the market and you're entering an area that of of, of or you're entering a market that I suppose is not as developed, getting noticed must be difficult. Yeah. I mean I I think it's it look, this is in some ways well look, we know twenty twenty is an awful time for the world for tons of individuals, it's a, it's a you know awful experience. The economy is not in a great place. The COVID's been a huge crisis. Um, what it has also then though is shown people that they're looking for different types of work going forward. And you know many people who are in fields that haven't done well in the current environment will be looking for different types of jobs. And many of these people really enjoy spending time with children, their own children, other children. Really enjoy the idea of being an educator. You know really enjoy the idea of starting their own business. So in some ways, this is a perfect opportunity 
for us to to open these opportunities for people who are looking for this type of work. And we've already begun to see that there's just lots and lots of wonderful people out there, you know, professionals, former teachers, you know, people who have done all sorts of things, moms, dads, um, who are really excited about this sort of work and are just looking for the opportunity to start this sort of business, but haven't really been given the community or the support up to now enabling them to do it. So here's a question. Uh, you addressed the point that there are three men chatting about this uh, on a podcast and, and you, you, your co-founding team, you know, two, two men, but trying to fix an issue that predominantly, uh, you know, traditionally stereotyped, I suppose, is, is more of a, of, a, of a challenge for mothers in, in kind of a parent, in, in, in that kind of relationship. Does that help you attract female engineers and a more diverse team to help you solve this problem is that an opportunity there i mean it's a it's something we were aware of right at the beginning that that we had to be more more uh proactive than than anyone about making sure that we we you know got the right amount of diversity in the team and and hired a really great mix of people and i think that um it's it's certainly i think the thing that's been most noticeable is that is that having a business which is genuinely driven by a mission which is which we 100% genuinely believe in and and Brett is the is the face of that you know with a charity background and having you know worked all his life in education you know we probably to a fault you know our meetings internally are, are often more about how we're solving the mission than they are about our commercial goals and that's something we know we need to address but that's something that's it's almost like this is the the thing i think if anything that's that's helped us you know hire hire the team that we've hired which we're extremely proud of um it's i would say it's the it's less the sector and more that I, we, we genuinely, genuinely, genuinely are trying to solve something that is a real issue. And it is our, it is our, it's a hundred percent our DNA that that that's what this company is trying to achieve. Um, we want to be commercially successful too. And I think like Brett's, you know, I'm sure he'd, he'd say himself, but you know, we, we, we believe that the, that being a business is the right way of doing that um, and, and have, having most impact. And, um, but I think that, um, Aside from the you know the fact that it's childcare, we actually don't don't tend to push that as being a reason to to bring more women in. I don't think that's necessarily a a great message, but I do think the fact that we are like phenomenally mission driven and that we're you know we're doing something which people can really get behind as being a real world problem that we're trying to solve is 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 helpful in hiring great talent. There's no doubt about that. Out of interest, I, I don't know what your setup was pre-pandemic. I don't know whether you were in an office in central London or whether you were remote working, but given that you're so focused around mission and purpose, has that made keeping the cultural identity of the business, which everyone obviously is talking about at the minute culture and, and, and how you kind of keep that when, when, when teams are so disparate, has that made that aspect of it easier? Yeah. I mean, we, we've, we've always been um, kind of remote friendly company. I'd say that we weren't remote first. That's, that's fair. We had an office, um, albeit quite a small one with a team size that we had. Um, but, you know, we've, and we've had right from the beginning, we've had people, in fact, our third co-founder, John, is based in Birmingham and spends, you know, used to spend a day or two a week coming down to London and now we, we don't see him so often. But um, it's, um, you know, we've always had that in our DNA. And so I think that kind of, and, and, and that definitely helps with hiring as well. There's definitely people that need that flexibility. Um yeah, I think we've. I think if anything, the the pandemic and being forced to go fully remote has been really helpful in terms of 
um, forcing us to address cultural challenges that you get from being fully remote. So I think we've, you know, we've put a lot of, we've invested quite a bit in kind of how we communicate with each other, how we use Slack, how we, how we, you know, document things on meeting cadence, all sorts of stuff like that. I think had we not been forced to go fully remote, we probably wouldn't have addressed them in quite the same way. And, um, feel pretty good about like how we work as a company being fully remote. I think we're pretty well set up for it. And, but that, that, that said, I think we're, we're, we are definitely missing hanging out with people. And I think it's primarily the social stuff. That's the, the bit mm. that I miss and the kind of the things that just, you know, well, I'm yet to see the solution that solves it for remote, but who knows, maybe someone will crack it, but it's, um, I don't think we, we have yet. I mean, a few weeks ago we did an offsite, um, a COVID friendly offsite in a hotel where we were separated and everything. And when Ed and I were just saying today, just how important that was, you know, spending a few days together um, as a team, I, I genuinely think, um, I, I think it's great to work remotely and give lots of flexibility. And we have people in Wales, we have people in Germany, all over the place. And, and you know, parents who like to work flexibly and different hours and things. But I do think coming together, some points are really important to align people and, and rely on everyone. And, you know, I think that that has to be an important part of, of remote working. Just as a last point, the, the pandemic has offered some opportunity to, to organizations. And whilst obviously there is a huge amount of disruption and difficulty out there economically and, and socially for people, uh, it's important, I suppose, that we look at some of the positives and, and build on that because it's the only way <laughs> the world's going to kind of keep going and, and turning and moving forward. How have you been able to refocus the business and, and spy opportunities that I suppose might not have been apparent before? Well, the obvious answer to that is that we, we very rapidly moved our, our training to be um, all digital. So we, um, pre, pre, like pre-pandemic, we were training people to be childminders in in-person training. In training centres in London, we used to run kind of week-long training courses um, and always knew that we wanted to make it a digital app experience, but that, you know, finding the time when you're trying to actually run a business and operate at the same time, sort of downing to, you know, it, it gave us the perfect opportunity to down tools and rebuild that whole journey to be in the app, which we wouldn't have probably had the opportunity to do in the same way, or at least we wouldn't have maybe had the confidence to do it at the time we had. And I think that was, mm. that's been, I think, a huge, uh, one big upside for us that we were able to do that. Um, I think less obvious things are kind of still playing out, but, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to see that the, the, the number of people looking to do this kind of job are increasing because of, all of the things we've talked about, you know, not wanting to commute into, land, into town, realizing that you enjoy spending time with your children and you want to you want to do that for your business. Um, uh, having been made redundant from the, the role that you were in before, um, you know, I think we're, we're yet to see those play out properly. But I think I think we all feel pretty good about the kind of macro um, stuff there. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, there's no shortage of demand for childcare, so that hasn't gone away. I think the interesting word there that you used was confidence. Um, it sounds like you, these were always things that you wanted to do, but this, this forced circumstances where you had to, and, and you put ideas that, that seemed apparent into practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, look, we have great talent now all over the place. I'm just thinking one of our, you know, great people in the organization is based in Wales, is a mom with small children and, you know, works really hard. And I think, you know, the fact that she doesn't have to come to London frequently and, she, I have to say, you know, she achieves great things. She's able to um, certainly, you know, move really fast, meet great goals. But I think she's probably able to 
balance that much better with her family responsibilities than she would if we had to come into an office frequently. I know she is. So, um, you know, you can see like that's just one example of many of, of someone who I think is achieving even more during the pandemic than she would have, you know, having to commute into London or travel in quite a lot on train. Look, if someone's listening and they're, and they're a technologist and maybe they've got, they've got some engineering skills and they think this is a problem they want to try and help solve, what should they do? Where, where can they go and find out what you're looking for and, and maybe get involved? <laughs> yeah, great question, Dave. It's almost like we planted that. Um, yeah, that's no, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, look, we've got we've got a careers page on the site. There's some some jobs on there. Um but we're always interested in, in great people that are on the, you know, interested in joining the mission. So I'd say even if the, the perfect job isn't there, then we'd love to hear from you. Um, we've got a, we've got a fantastic head, head of people who will be, who'll be more than happy to, to have a chat with them, I should think. Um, uh, yeah. And we just, we just, you know, we, we, we're almost everybody on the team is kind of, um, well, no, not almost everybody on the team is, 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 uh, is doing it for all the right reasons, I think, which is that they really, they really believe this is a problem that needs solving that, that can be solved by, by the great kind of combination of education and early years and tech backgrounds, kind of bringing that together. Um, our, our engineering challenges are not, not ones of kind of huge computer science problems and engineering scale, but they are um, knotty problems working through, you know, different user, different difficult user experience challenges, difficult regulatory challenges, um, and, and working with a with a group of customers who aren't sort of traditionally tech tech savvy or tech first comes with its own its own challenges. And I think well, you know if you're if you're somebody that enjoys that sort of problem solving, then it's the it's it's awesome. We've got all sorts of things to be working on. So, well, look, I really appreciate you giving up your time. Um, I know it's it's a busy day and it's the end of the week. So thank you and fingers crossed. Um, Tiny continues to to fix that problem. Great to great to chat. Now that we're officially in the run into Christmas, why not think about giving a gift with a story behind it? Alive and Kicking are using football as a force for good and helping to support mental health education across Africa. You can do the same by giving someone a football from aliveandkicking.org forward slash shop. Now the footballs come in retro 90s kit designs. So go have a look and give a unique gift that will help make a huge difference to more than just the person who receives it this Christmas. Joining me for a very quick bit of technology news, I'm delighted to say we've got our original, our OG co-host back. Hello, Jack Pierce. Hello, David Savage. Nice to be back. Thank you. Thank you. Look, a quick bit of uh, tech news that I'd love you to consider. Uh, mm. This is taken from VentureBeat. Um, researchers are starting to refuse to review Google AI papers. So basically, this story is about the fact that computer scientists in AI are beginning to refuse the, to review Google AI research until Google changes its stance on former AI ethics co-lead Timnit Gebru. So researchers select um, research for publication at academic conferences, work on a voluntary basis to support the scientific community. They normally choose a huge number of Google papers. So this is big news on that front. And it's big news because it's, it's part of this kind of wider trend that there's been a brain drain from academia to big tech, in particular Google. So this difference in, in opinion, let's say, yeah. uh, between big tech and, and how actually the academics and AI experts see the technology being, um, being used is big news and creates, quite apart from the fact that there's a huge diversity inclusion question mark here and over their treatment right. of, a, of a member of staff, it's big news. 
it has it's got this uh wonderfully wicked kind of domino effect of ethics and morality that kind of stems back to google being greedy and taking the very best minds and then keeping those best minds in their ecosystem arguably sacking the best mind of all those minds and then and then being like well they weren't agreeing with what we wanted to do. It's like, well, hang on, you hired this person to give you that kind of that edge in ethics and morality around AI research. And what you've done now is negate all of that by letting them go. And yeah, I mean, it's not a, doesn't paint a pretty picture of Google, does no. it? No, never, if anyone's really not familiar with this story, basically the research paper at the centre of the disagreement is about language models and can they be too big? So it's talking about things like environmental racism, uh, the potential to perpetuate a wide variety of bias, gender, race and other characteristics. And obviously the bigger the, the data that you shove into the machine, the more the likely, likelihood of, of bias. And, and obviously Timonik Gebru, as their co-ethics lead, was hired to highlight these points was critical and was then censored and dismissed. And Google are trying to paint out that it wasn't a dismissal. Others inside the organization saying, absolutely it is. And it's great to hear there's a lot of pressure coming from within the organization as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a worrying stance if, as you say, you've got the best minds in those organizations being muzzled. Yeah, it's, it's just, it begs, but if it's not the point of doing this, it's like, it's like me hiring a lawyer yet representing myself at court and I've got no chance of doing anything well because I've got no idea about the law or anything like that. Or it's like a government not listening to the scientists around a pandemic <laughs> outbreak. It's kind of what it's oh, like. Oh, you know. don't be fantastic on it. <laughs> Listen to your experts. And, you know, companies like Google, companies like all these big tech companies, their new USP, their new avenue for creativity should be like social justice, should be uh, awareness and racial equality and gender equality and all this kind of stuff. Yet the minute you hear that, oh, we don't like what our co-head of ethics did. So guess what? It's a mutual parting, like when a football manager's sacked or whatever. Everyone knows it was a sacking. Come on. Um, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't look good on Google. It doesn't mm. look good on on their future and, and what they're planning. And the, stu- the stupid thing is, right, you know, I get that they want us to be able to uh, have an AI system that can book a hairdresser for us. Yeah. Right? But <laughs> they're going to get there first. They're going to deliver the tools that empower the next generation and beyond, whether we like it or not, because these organizations are basically too big to fail now, mm. right? Um, there is small competition in the market in, in the other big tech players. They'll get bought by Google, them though, won't they? <laughs> Google are going to get there pretty quickly. Like maybe you could get there a little bit slower and make sure that you're not doing something that adversely affects society at the same time. Yeah, I mean, why don't you try and do something for the good of everyone that doesn't paint your soul black en route to doing it, right? Like, just, yeah, I mean, it it sounds easy enough, um, but, you know, as with all big tech, as, you know, they, they march to the beat of their own drum. Like you say, they are too big to fail now. They'll buy the competitors. They'll do what they need to do to succeed. But more needs to be done. More needs to be spoken out about this kind of stuff. So, you know, us doing this is great social justice as well. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. crusaders. Exactly, exactly. Us and the resource you stole this from, 100%. Benjamin, yeah, yeah. There you go. Probably more them than us. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just Pretty a little. Shit. <laughs> Look, thank you for joining me for a quick bit of tech news. I know that you nice. so lovely to, to hear from you, Jack. And uh, yeah, Tech Talks will be back next week. I don't care, I'm not
I won't give you the satisfaction. 